Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, everybody. Once again, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones here for yet another Church Planner podcast, which, by the way, I want to share this with you, Peyton. Um, yesterday was a holiday in Russia, and uh, while, according to our stats, we don't have any listeners in Russia, I wanted them to know I was with them as they celebrated their holiday. Uh, I don't know if you saw it, but it's their National Day of Conception yesterday, September 12th. <laughs> Right on. Yeah, apparently they're going through a massive uh, decline in population, and so uh, they're they were asking all the employers and stuff, please let your your people stay home. <laughs> they give out prizes if you have a kid exactly nine months later. And uh, wow, they get all the good holidays. All we got is like Groundhog's Day, but they got the good holidays. That's all I'm saying. Well, I was just thinking when you first said that, like, well, who wouldn't want to be born in Russia? I mean, I'm surprised that babies don't want to be born there now. <laughs> they don't want to yet. It's up to them. Of yeah. Course. Uh, hopefully that will motivate babies to come out in Russia. To come out in Russia? I like that. Yeah. You know, it, they could, they could nine months later, it could be baby come out day. Actually, that you win prizes. Like if you do it exactly nine months later, like last year, people won Jeeps and stuff. I mean, granted, they're like 1972 Jeeps that don't run anymore. Now but it doesn't I matter. Know you're, now I know you're lying. No, actually, it's a true story. <laughs> That's all I true. know you're lying because if lying. this were a true story, the prize would be vodka. Well, that's actually how uh, you're supposed to. Never mind. I'm not even going to go there. But anyway, <laughs> speaking of uh, vodka, must be a short of vodka in Russia. <laughs> speaking of vodka, um, I understand uh, you're trying to keep your mouth dry with a, a beverage. Yes, indeed, and it's not vodka. It's not vodka. <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, it's another adult beverage. Uh, coffee. There, that's what Christian I meant. Christian coffee. Crack. Yeah, yeah. With plenty of caffeine. <laughs> but anyway, what? What? So, what? What's the topic for today? Okay, the topic today is 
basically, uh, well, you, you remember last week we talked about, uh, you know, it's kind of our nuts and bolts, uh, church planning 101. Uh, how does someone walk me through a church plant? That, that's kind of like the series that we're in now, starting with podcast 13. Uh, and now, so on our 14th podcast, we're hitting number two of that, which is the church planner's gifting, because it's one thing to know you're called. So we talked about that last week. How do you know that you're called? Um, and that's a subjective thing. And we kind of pointed that out, but, uh, obviously if you're subjectively you, you called, know, let me throw something in here, by the way, regarding last week's, uh, podcast, because you said something I was about the, to make a brilliant statement though. Well, you said something really brilliantly <laughs> last week that I didn't really touch on, but for me, at least it really hit home. And you said, if God has called you, he's going to also call your spouse. And like yeah. that was one of the the checks, and I thought that was so like profound because, I mean, that's one of the things that that is always in the back of my mind. You know, what's what's Jamie going to think about, you know, where we're going and what we're doing, and you know, me focusing primarily on this magazine and and the Church Planner podcast and stuff like that. So, uh, I I just thought that was I thought that was a really profound statement, and I didn't say how profound I, I took it last week, but I'm saying it this week. I thought that hey, was a... it's Jesus or ice skating. You can't have both. <laughs> By the way, Peyton, what would you do for $1,000? Anyway. Oh, inside jokes are abounding. So, so it, it, here's, here's, I thought maybe you're going to tell that story. The uh, Jesus or ice skating? Yeah. I'm trying to remember what, what exactly was it? It was like, um, we couldn't go to church. Was it last week? Yeah, it, Pete's Pete's wife is an ice skating instructor, right? So, like right away, you you know that you know Pete married way out of his league, right? And and so the thing is, <laughs> they're like, she, wait, I've seen his picture in the magazine. <laughs> yeah, and so, she's hot, salesman. Uh, <laughs> so so here's a deal. I I think we both married out of our league, Pete. We we both you know we're doing pretty well. I know. You know, I mean, I'm poor. At least I got a pretty wife. That was cool. But, <laughs> I'm poor. At least I got a pretty wife. <laughs> but but here's the deal. You know, you. Uh, I, I remember you saying, "Oh, I can't make it to church. I'll be watching on the on the live stream." And uh, and I just blurted out, "Jesus or ice skating, man? She's got to choose." Yeah, and you thought that was pretty funny, but and of course I passed that on to my wife. Uh, by the way, pastor said Jesus or ice skating. <laughs> you know, and and so here's what we're talking about subjectively. Uh, you're called to plan a church, right? You feel that. You're like, but I feel like I'm supposed to call a, a you know, plan a church. I'm called to it. Um, but the, the question we're dealing with today is even though you subjectively feel God called you, has he objectively gifted you? So it's one thing to say, Hey man, lay down and let me cut your head open. I feel like a surgeon. Um, the question is, Hey, do you got steady hands and are you qualified to do brain surgery? Um, none of us would submit ourselves to being operated on. Um, I mean, I might let you operate on my big toe, but definitely not my brain, unless I'm sure you're a surgeon, right? But uh, we got to know. I mean, there's souls on the line. You know, we have to know, are you somebody that ought to be uh, in this line of work? You know, they have boot camp for a reason uh, in the special forces, basically because uh, 
you know, they, they're trying to weed out people who don't belong on the front lines. People's lives are in your hands when you're on the front line. A friend of mine in, in, was in Vietnam uh, years ago, and he was special forces. And when they started recruiting uh, infantry, it was an open invitation. They told anyone, you can come, you can uh, basically join, but um, you had to repel out of a helicopter face first. And so the first thing they would do is they would tell them that uh, you have to free fall for at least 50 feet before you apply the handbrake on the rope. The problem was guy seized up as soon as they jumped and out of panic um, when they did that, uh, they the line would suddenly go taut and they would slam up um, back under the belly Ooh. of the chopper. And of course, then they'd fall. They were, they were strapped in, but uh, it'd be kind of like next, you know, next, next to you, you obviously didn't make it. So with jumping out of an airplane or, or, or para jumping into a place, church planning, um, we have to know, do you have the objective skills to do this? So what, what are the main gifts that, um, that you got to have to be a church planner? Well, even even before we talk about the gifts, first thing that we have to talk about is your motive. Um, think about it for I a second. I want a big church. I want people to like me. Yeah, you know what? That's that's <laughs> so what weird. we call the Nacho Libre uh, <laughs> motivation of church planning. You know, today I was in town and I saw a wrestler, a luchador, and people were uh, shouting his name and giving him goodies. I would like that kind of respect. I want people to shout my name and give me goodies. So that's like the Nacho Libre, uh, mi dragon <laughs> is muy rapido. <laughs> Which people still can't believe we said on a church planner podcast. But... You know, that, that's, that's the reality is there are guys out there where, you know, they've just, they've always thought that being a pastor would be like being a rock star and nobody else sees it. You know, they're like, dude, you don't have the gift of being a rock star. I'm sorry. Well, you know, they're actually uh, making a TV show on uh, pastors. Have you seen the trailer for that? Yeah. You know, but that's a lot of people I think are probably going to even look at that show and be like, oh, I want to be a pastor. Yeah, man, there's money, you get to tell people jokes, you get Driving to ride around Bentleys. in big cars, yeah, show off some bling, get a hot wife like Pete and I. <laughs> but uh, but here's the deal. Um, your motive can I mean, you're going to ask yourself the question repeatedly, trust me, why did I ever want to do this? And, of course, we started off a few weeks ago talking about when is it time to quit because that time is going to come. Um, I can remember years ago um, seeing uh, uh, the Eagles in concert, and this roadie, uh, you know, came out, and it was the stage was all dark, and it was Twickenham Stadium, which uh, if you don't live in London, you have no clue what I'm talking about. Um, but the guy came out, and everybody thought it was like Don Henley or Joe Walsh or someone, and everyone started going wild. And it turns out it was it was just the roadie; he was just going to tune up the guitar, but the spotlight was kind of dim and blue and just right. And and so people got really excited and started screaming. Well, you know, the roadie, you know, having a sense of humor, picked up the guitar and started rocking out a bit and and doing just total, like, cliche guitar moves, you know, the the Pete Townsend doing the, the clockwork arms and all that kind of stuff. But um, it was pretty funny. But he knew his place. You know, he knew, hey, it's kind of a joke. You guys are yelling for me. And I think every church planner needs to have that attitude where, He's just like, it's a joke. If you're yelling for me, that's a joke, man. So you can't take yourself 
seriously, there is one rock star in the church, mm. and that's Jesus, you know? Um, yeah, and I think I even shared this on an earlier podcast, uh, maybe like one of the first couple of ones, but I was listening to a, a Mark Driscoll podcast on uh, church planning, and one of the things that he said, I believe it was Driscoll, was that in your org chart for your church, uh, he was basically saying, do you have Jesus anywhere on the org chart? Like physically written in there. Jesus is, you know, the head of this church. And he goes, because it's too easy to forget that. It's too easy to think, you know, we've got a board if, you're, if your church is run that way. Or, you know, we've got, you know, the pastor, the senior pastor and the elders. And, you know, this is how we run this thing. And he's like, you got to always remember who's really the head of that church. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, Charlie and I were always saying Jesus is a senior pastor. When I planted my first church, I didn't want a church. And that was kind of the secret weapon to planting a successful church Church plant is not really wanting one um, because it wasn't mine. I would constantly say to Jesus, hey, it's your church. It's your burden. Stop mine. You know, and uh and and by then I quit ministry and the Lord is just moving around me and um I was actually helping someone else. He he bailed the week before we planted. Um and he was like, Oh, I changed my mind. And 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 in fact, the church I'm I'm at now, Refuge Long Beach, that core team was started up because somebody else was supposed to have it who changed her mind. And you know, it's funny because I you know, eventually I'll hand Refuge Long Beach over. Um what I'm passionate about is training other people to plan a church. I really, God didn't really use me in church planning until I really didn't care if I had a church anymore. So right now I may be just full-time going into planning guys, uh, you know, basically training up other church planners and mentoring them. I really don't have a, a desire for a church. And I think every church planner needs to have a certain dose of that, if that makes sense. Mm. And then, then you read like the Chandler Driscoll, the, the Francis Chan, uh, you know, and then you think, oh, my, my church is suddenly going to mushroom up and that looks tempting. Guys, that's like, you know, 99% of church plants out there, that never happens. Okay. It doesn't blow up like that. Um, you, you might need to, to embrace the obscurity that you're going to be in for quite a while. Why do you think, uh, those churches do blow up? I think there's different reasons for each one of them. But like, if you look at Chan, right, to be honest, I mean, Chan, uh, it was a steady growth over time. Um, Driscoll was overnight, but I think because he was such an anomaly, um, in that area in Seattle. Uh, but again, you know, um, a lot of that was the Holy Spirit. If you ever read his book, which I highly recommend, uh, Mark Driscoll wrote in a just flipping amazing book called, uh, Confessions of a Reformationist Rev. Um, I think I've mentioned before that chapter one is called Jesus. The offering was $36 today and I want to buy bullets with it and shoot everybody. <laughs> um, he's just, you know, one of them is, uh, Jesus. Each one is, it's a confession. Each, uh, title chapter or chapter title is a, 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 a confession to Christ. So one of them is Jesus. Satan just showed up at the church and I can't find my cup. <laughs> And he means like a cup, like I'm getting kicked in the nuts here. Oh, okay. All right. So, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the, the bottom line is that, uh, 
it's going to be hard, man. And, you know, with guys where it suddenly explodes and grows really big, um, that's not any easier. Those guys struggle with other stuff, man. They're not ready. It's kind of like Whitfield once said, where he said, success is what actually almost destroyed me, uh, you know, destroyed my character. So, hmm. um, you know, I can remember back when I was a, a, at a point where I was kind of broken and I was upset and, you know, quit ministry. And some guy came to me when I was working at the Starbucks that my church started out of. And, you know, a lot of times, and, and, you know, people probably don't realize this about me, but I'm, I'm a little bit country, a little bit rock and roll. I'm a word based dude. I was, I was raised in words, word based evangelical, uh, church, but I'm kind of part charismatic too. It, it, I'm like this weird hybrid. I don't really have a camp anymore. Um, Pentecostal theology doesn't float my boat. Um, but the activity of the Holy Spirit, if I don't see the activity of the Holy Spirit, I start to wonder what's wrong. And so, but this guy came to me and he was, you know, a lot of the prophetic types, they always talk about eagles and lions and stuff. Um, but, but then they always quote this scripture and I, I can't stand it when it's taken out of context, but he kind of goes, Hey, I have a prophecy for you. And he's looking at me all mystical and wild eyed. And he said, you have been the, the tail, but I'm going to make you the head. And I, I just kind of looked at him. This was right when I was planning the church. And I said, you know, that's really nice. That's cute. Um, but the truth is, if you knew what God was doing in my life and where he was taking me and what he was actually doing in my spirit, um, <laughs> you know that that's the, the thing that I least want to hear. Like that doesn't do any, in fact, if anything, that just kind of pisses me off because, uh, every time I've ever thought I was the head, I get my tail kicked. So I just told him, Hey, thanks, man. It was a nice thought. Um, happy thought, but, uh, I have to reject that, man. Then that, that is not a prophecy from God to me because, uh, he's, he's been doing nothing but learning, uh, teaching me that I need to be the tail and right. he's the head. Right. So, you know, I think you have to get to a point where you realize that it was, it's not about you. And, you know, I, I want to read something. This is an, an old book. Um, it's funny. My great grandfather, when he passed away, I, I found a few books and I found this one he had. It's a guy named C.E. Jefferson. And it was this book about the apostle Paul. And I remember grabbing it when I was like 19, he passed away. And, uh, years later, I read the thing and it was freaking brilliant. And he says this talks about Paul. He says, he was great in his aims and plans. There was nothing small in his ambitions. He had in him the spirit of a world conquer. He was far greater than Alexander the Great. He was always dreaming of other worlds to conquer. Nothing less than the whole world for Christ would satisfy his heart. He carried in his eye Rome, the center of the world, and Spain, the end of it. In his imagination, he could see every knee bending and every tongue confessing that Jesus is the master indeed. He is the Christian Hercules, and his labors are so varied and wonderful that we sometimes lose the man in the blaze of glory of all that he's accomplished. It was he who lifted Christian religion out of its Palestinian cradle, tore away its swaddling clothes, and trained it to walk along the highways of the Roman Empire. It was he who chipped the shell and set the imprisoned eagle free. It was he who first lit the Christian lamp in the palace of the Caesars. It was he who converted a Jewish sect in a world into a world religion. 
It was he who saw Jesus not simply as the Jewish Messiah, but as divine Savior of all mankind. It was he who placed the cross of Jesus at the center of human human history and also at the center of the universe. So what what's amazing to me about that quote is that, you know, he's saying, here's a guy that, you know, if if he had gone into politics or whatever, he was going to be the first, he was going to be the greatest. But he had this ambition, but it was all for Christ. And I would say you need that big spirit, um, what the Welsh call Hoyle Vower, which means great spirit. You need that great spirit uh, in you to uh, be a church planner because you're going to be dealing with small things and you need a big vision to make up for that. Hmm. These are not happy thoughts, are they, Pete? <laughs> well, they're 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 deep thoughts because um I mean, it, it's not going to be an easy road. It's not going to be a quick road. And we don't live in a society that deals well with uh things that require patience. Yeah, absolutely. And at the same time, you know, one of the guys that that we trained at Fit for the Field, um he his name's Josh Bass. He's in Palm Springs. That guy's been fully supported since day one, you know, but he, he planted right away. They're paying, church is paying its way. He's in a building project and his church has been going for a year and a half. So go figure, you know, there's, the, the, it does happen. You know, I don't want, I don't want to discourage guys, but I want guys to be prepared for hard work, blood, sweat, and tears like Winston Churchill, uh, once inspired the British populace when they were under the blitz of Nazi Germany. Um, during World War II, he just told me, he said, I can promise you nothing but blood, sweat, and tears. Um, but if the Holy Spirit's in that, I mean, you look back on World War II and you go, man, that's awesome that they embrace that because the British people did. They embrace that and they go, we're ready, man. That's a heroic dedication. You need a heroic dedication to the cause. So when we talk about your sense of calling. Sometimes when a guy feels called, he has this like sense of destiny, you know, my greatness, it's my time. And you read Spurgeon, Lloyd-Jones, and you think you're going to be the next guy. The reality is you may not be. You may be the next guy who's making room for the next guy. You know what I mean? Mm, You might be the guy who is going to prepare the soil for the next big guy. You're going to get the... The, the, the ground ready. You're going to break up the fallow ground. You're going to sow the seed. You may not be the great reaper. Um, like Paul said, Paul recognized that. He said, Hey, I sow another waters and someone harvests. And I'm cool with that. So he who sows or waters is nothing but Christ alone, God alone who gives the increase. You need that kind of spirit and attitude in this work. You know what's what's interesting, and, and this is just uh, I'm going to throw this out there from a, a again a business standpoint, my background. But um, you know, in, in almost every business, eventually the the board, the leadership, however you want to word it, they all get together and they say, "Hey, you know what? We need to do some leadership training." Uh, and almost always involved in the leadership training is a, a personality test. Where, uh, you know, you figure out what kind of personality you use the Myers-Briggs or, or whatever. And a buddy of mine uh, introduced me to uh, a different type of uh, personality testing uh, called the Enneagram. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Been around for like a thousand years. But it was basically uh, created and could be taught in the oral tradition as opposed to, you know, answering multiple choice questions. Um, mainly because, you know. Very few people could write 
when it was created. So you had to be able to, to teach it. And so for me, in business and in sales specifically, um, it's good to know what type of personality someone is so I know how I should approach them with my message. And um, by far the easiest personality uh, tool, if you want to say, uh, for me to use is the Enneagram. So I can understand kind of where people are coming from. And that tells me how I should approach them, how I should talk to them. But the reason why I bring this up is um, there's basically nine types, one through nine. And the third type is uh, a very um, – on the Enneagram, Hollywood be, would be considered a three. It's very me, 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 me. It's all about me. Um when they're when they're really into their their three, if you will, on the enneagram, we we call them a, a mm-hmm. flaming three. It has no sexual connotation to it. It's just they're very much into the the me 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 me. And there's no right or wrong in personalities, right? I mean, it's just these are the different types of personalities, and and we all share traits of all nine areas. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's just you lean heavily towards you know one of the 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 uh, numbers, if you will, the, the categories. And, um, and I think it's one of those things that for myself, when, when that, that, you know, person inside me wants to go me, 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 I want to be the center of attention. How you mentioned in um, an earlier podcast, the two things that every pastor goes through is ego and impact. And mm-hmm. when the ego becomes bigger than the impact, that's when there's a problem or when they're yeah. more interested in the ego than it is the impact. And I would submit that for some personalities, for some people who their bent is naturally using the Enneagram as the example, a three, it's really something you've got to watch because we can all be subject to it. Mm, that's so true, man. But when it's like, this is who you naturally are, you know, um, yeah. you naturally are the center of attention and you enjoy that. It That's, that's just a personality thing. There's again, nothing wrong with it. It's just your personality. That's, you really got to watch that. And, and again, we can all have that, but you know, like you're saying, it's, it's not about us. And I think for the church planner who wants to go into an area that um, is underserved, you know, we talk about the inner city all the time and how, how we're not, uh, especially you are not interested in planting in rich areas. Not that there's not a need there. I mean, and that's the key thing to understand if God's called you, like we joke about this all the time, orange County, California is, uh, it's a wealthy area. There's a reason, you know, they've had, there's the train. It's (laughs) a reason that they've had all these TV shows on orange County. It is like you see on the TV shows. I mean, you know, we've got Santa Ana, Westminster and some, some other bad parts of orange County, but, uh, you know, for the most part, it is it's Disneyland, right? And if God's called yeah. you to plant there, then you have to go there. I mean, Holy Spirit trumps everything, right? But when you're called to plant in the inner city, when you're called to plant in inner city L.A. or Long Beach or Seattle or whatever, some really um, hard areas, it's it's not going to be about the ego. Because, you know, you mentioned this on last week's podcast. I was listening to it uh, yesterday. And... You know, one of the lines you said is for people in Long Beach to give up 10% of their income, first of all, that's peanuts to the church and that's a huge hit to them. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I feel a bit like Phil Robertson from uh, Duck Dynasty, man. Ah, uh, yuppie churches. You know, I feel, I feel happy, like, happy, happy. But he goes happy, to a happy, yuppie happy. church, man. Have you seen it on Duck Dynasty? I have. I have. But, you know, Homeboy has baptized 300 people in the creek, right? Not a creek, a creek, right? Um, out behind his house. And, uh, but yeah, man, I, it, it's so funny when he's always talking about yuppie kids and yuppie this and that. And that's how I feel with the church. Like, you know, give me that wild frontier church anytime that's dangerous and it's going to implode at any moment. So the stuff that, you know, other guys get, you know, discouraged about or they lose heart in, that's like, that's like, that's what excites me when, when a church, and that's part of this we're going to kick into uh, talking about Church Zero. Cha-ching! Um, <laughs> the, uh, the apostolic Available calling. at Amazon.com and wherever books are sold. <laughs> yeah, free this month on Bookshout if you want to join the reading group. $14.99 value, folks. Uh, but, but the deal is, is that, you know, when you have that apostolic calling, you get excited about going out there and being frontline. Um, I was telling my church jokingly last night in the home study, um, I said, you know, there was a guy, heroin addict, um, you know, never been to church. He was crying in the park with a dog. And I said, that's the kind of ministry I'm in. I'm not in big church ministry. I'm in the crying heroin addict in the park with a dog ministry. That's my ministry because that guy came to church. You know, we threw a barbecue in the, in the park the other day and this guy had been recently out of prison. He's trying to get clean off heroin and, uh, living on the streets and, uh, that's that's just what I'm wired for. So I think, you know, we're talking about it. Having gifting is important. There are certain gifts that you're going to need, but but gifting is not enough. Um, the first thing you're going to need is character. Um, you know, obviously not all of you are as gifted as I am. So uh, <laughs> you're you're going to have to have character to make up for it. No, but honestly, if if you had a choice, you know, for me, if I'm looking at a church planner and I have a choice between gifting and character, I'd pick character any day. And so would Paul. Um, you know, he he literally talks about gifts, right, in, in 1 Corinthians. And he goes, but look, if I could have the tongue of angels or if I could have faith that moved mountains— <clears throat> or I could work great miracles or raise the dead, or I give my body to the flames. He goes, and I don't have the greatest gift, which is the gift of love. And that it, love is a funny gift because it's half character and it's half gifting. Um, Paul says, I'd, I'd pick love. Love is like the greatest of all the gifts. And I think if you have love for people, um, you know, that, that's going to be one of the key things. Um, Spurgeon used to say, the only thing you need to be used by God is to love God and to love people. What if you're like me? You're kind of a jerk and you're like, but I hate people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's, that's something that I always tell church planners when I'm in a conference is I hate people. Um, I'm the guy that flips people off. Uh, you know, if you make me mad enough on the freeway. And I just did, and, and as I flipped the dude off, I'm like, and that goes for the rest of you too. You know, it, it's like, that's naturally who Peyton Jones is. In the flesh, that's me. You want to cut me open and study me in biology class? That's who I am. Um, I, you know, I, if you're listening to the podcast, you're like, dude, that's messed up. Yeah, it is. Peyton Jones without Jesus is pretty messed up. It's not a pretty picture. But then suddenly something happens to me when I get in ministry where suddenly I can't love people enough. 
And I've learned that like when Paul says that the greatest gift is love, it is. It is the love of Christ that compels you. It's not your love. It's not that you're a naturally loving person. It's literally that the love of Christ is in you now and you feel it. I know you'll feel it. Um, Pete, I know like you won't hug people, but I've seen you show up to church and be like, oh crap, we don't have breakfast this morning because someone dropped the ball. You know what? And I seen you run down and have McDonald's cook up like 60 egg McMuffins and bring them back piping hot. By the way, they're really good piping hot. Which never I, I, and I just say, it's because I really like egg McMuffins. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it has more to the do real with that. Se- yeah, the real secret that morning to that was... It's egg McMuffins for me and 68 of my closest friends. <laughs> I love it. But but that's the reality, is suddenly the love of Christ, and in that passage in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul just says, it's as if Christ were in us pleading with the world. You feel supernaturally endowed with a love that is not your own. Interesting, man. Interesting. Uh, it. I think this topic really has my mind going off in so many directions. For instance, uh, I've shared this before on the podcast, but... It's one of the things that has um, it. It has really affected me. I I mentioned this before. I was listening to another podcast that I don't know. I think it probably died. Which uh, the average podcast only has seven episodes before the the person finally calls it quits. So maybe this guy called it quits. I don't know. But it's called uh, the Everyday Disciple. Mm. And and I mentioned this before. One of the biggest takeaways that has probably made a a lifetime impact on me is um, two guys were, were talking and the one guy just said, you know, I, I, I realized that these people I don't like um, one day it hit me, you know, but they're made in the image of God. And so when, when stuff like that happens to me, I get cut off on the freeway, which I don't know why road rage is such a big deal. Like, I mean, we're all going to get to where we're going, but man, you just get ticked when people do stupid stuff on the road. I mean, it's like, you know, you start going, oh, you're arrogant. You know, it's only about you. You're the only one trying to go. And it's like we just all of a sudden flip out, using that as an example. And I, whenever I flip out like that, which I try not to drive anywhere. So, you know, it's not usually road rage for me. It'll just be like going through a drive through Come on, man exact change let's go let's go but um but it, it just causes me to say to myself they're made in the image of god like that yeah. line is is so stuck in my head that after i flip out i'm like man why did i flip out man they're made in the image of god yeah yeah and uh and you know again going back to something that nigel young said god loves them just as much as he loves me yeah you know, you know what's so funny, dude, is that you, you've quoted Nigel a couple times, and Nigel was like, he he reminds me of you in some ways because he was the guy that saw himself as the least likely guy to ever be in ministry, and now he's walking the streets. You know, Friday he's actually in a very dangerous ministry, but when that dude got saved, man, I spent like Monday nights with him for years, just discipling him and spending time. And it's just so funny because, you know, um, 
everybody has a calling. It's just Nigel found his in, in a very unusual place. And everybody has a calling. So even if you're listening today and you're like, I'm not a church planner, I dig on the podcast, you'll have a calling, you'll have a gifting. Nigel always had the gift of compassion. He could, he could just be sitting there and someone start telling him a story about their life and he'll just start crying. And he's not a mm. girly man. He would just, he would just, it, w- it would affect him. So it's not surprising that, that his ministry follows his gifting. Uh, I mean, his, uh, his gifting follows his, um, his passion. So he's passionate about comforting people, you know, and so he's in this ministry now, which does that. And so first off, you have to realize that God will have <clears throat> completely equipped you and gifted you like you. Uh, he may have given you a mind like Einstein. I think of Mark Conville. He's one of the smartest guys I know. He's a church planner in Flagler Beach with New Breed. That guy is so stinking intelligent. Um, I found a shirt on, on Pete Nye's favorite, uh, website <laughs> <laughs> right now called, uh, $6tshirts.com. And, and, I don't know if we should even tell how we <laughs> I don't how think we found you should. it. I asked Jamie, I go, can I get that shirt? She's like, well, and I'm like, yeah, I know. It's one thing to put it in a video. It's another thing to wear the t-shirt. I bought mine. Did you? <laughs> Everyone right There's now nothing, is like, what are they talking about? What yeah, are they yeah, talking nothing, about? Nothing immoral. It involves no nudity or anything like that. You guys, get your mind out of the gutter. But here's the deal. The, uh, the bottom line was that I was on there and I saw one that said the Brainy Bunch. And it was so funny. It had like Socrates and Descartes and all these guys, you know, in the Brady Bunch squares. And I sent that over to Mark Convoy and said, hey, man, this. Because that, that guy is so stinking smart. I so mean, you're not going to tell he, people what the T-shirt was that you got? okay i'm gonna 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 confess i'm gonna confess this because you know i i was in this one uh clothes shop once (laughs) and there was a picture of jesus riding on a t-rex and i thought it was awesome it's like two of my favorite things and i'm like this is awesome and my wife wouldn't let me buy it she was like no, that's blasphemous. And I'm like, what do you mean? That's awesome. He made T-Rex. Like, we saw it completely different. So I, I, I closet bought the shirt. The I closet day. bought the shirt. I love it. So I, I have to wear it when my wife's not around so I don't stumble her. But I just thought it was a cool shirt. And, and, and so, you know, like, I don't want to stumble people, but I just thought it was awesome because I love Jesus and I, I love, love T-Rexes. Dinosaurs. Heck yeah. <laughs> And who's to say that in on the new new heaven and new earth we can't ride dinosaurs around? That would just be awesome. And I know if I get there and Jesus is riding on a dinosaur, I'm gonna look at my wife and be like, "See, <laughs> she may not get one though for being a doubter. She may have to ride like a horse or something. She'll probably get a unicorn though. She probably dig on that more. But but you and me, Pete, get to ride dinosaurs. I don't know, man. Those so are is this the big. podcast where you name it the one where we talk about riding dinosaurs in heaven? <laughs> the one about <laughs> will Jesus ride a dinosaur when we meet him? But but anyway, so so I was on there. But I, you know, getting back to my original point, um, you have to you have to go with your, your your who you are and how God's wired you and equipped you. So your temperament comes into it. Paul, uh, Pete, and I are joking around, but again. 
like sense of humor. That is definitely something that God gave me as a church planner. I've needed that to get through some dark times, some hard times, and I use my sense of humor to evangelize. I use it to connect with people. Um, I have a very crass sense of humor. Um, people relate to that when they come into church. It's very disarming. If the guy up front just is like, Hey, cut the crap, you know, or just and makes these cracks and people just go, that dude's real. You know, like he's actually real. You know, I'm not trying to, I'm just being myself. And, uh, and, and so I think you've got to go with your temperament and use it. Don't try to hide who you are. You cannot be a hypocrite in this game. You're going to be working upfront and personal up close with people in close proximity. So need to be yourself. So your temperament's important, but your gifting is going to be unique makeup of your gifting. Um, you know, you look at Spurgeon, you look at Lloyd Jones, you look at, uh, any of the guys that God used. John Wesley, guy was an amazing administrator. Um, that was part of the brilliance. So was Paul for that matter. Paul was an amazing administrator. He administrated the first uh, century uh, New Testament network of church planners. He was operating with at least uh, 32 dudes that are mentioned in, in the book of Acts and the epistles that he was networking, moving them all over and strategically getting them to plant. So you've got to just be yourself. But some of the gifts just, you know, uh, off the top of my head that you really need, um, besides a, a, a crazy sense of humor, um, you need to be able to uh, to preach. I mean, just hands down, you need to be a preacher. And I'm not saying that you have to be the most gifted preacher on the planet, but you for sure have to be able to communicate the gospel. Um, you may not be a good discussion leader. You may not be great with people one-on-one, but you have to be able to preach. Hmm. I mean, it makes perfect sense, obviously, but uh, I don't know. I was just going to well, say, what, what are some of the other? Well, not- yeah. I mean, there's a lot. There's there's like the gift of faith. Paul talks about the gift of faith. You have to be able to see things that no one else can see when you're when you're planning a church. Um, funny thing about church planners is they can see, you know, the, the definition of faith is seeing the invisible or seeing what's not there. And um, and. And, you know, I always say that church planners are like Marines. They're the bullet stoppers of the kingdom of God. Um, they're really good at leading the charge, taking ground for the kingdom, um, so that the rest can come, come behind like the army and hold ground. So, so Marines take the beach. The army holds the beachhead. You know what I'm saying? They guard it. They hold it. They maintain it. They occupy it. But, you know, a church planner, he's a guy, he's got to have guts, man. He's got to get out of the foxhole. So in order to be a church planner, you have to be a person who has faith, crazy amounts of faith, and sometimes enough faith for your whole team. When they're looking at the, you know, the small stuff on the ground, despising the day of small things, you have to be the guy who goes, guys, this is what you're going to see. And you have to give them pep talks. You have to tell them God's going to move. And this is what's going to happen. If we keep doing what he commanded us to do, he says, I will be with you to the end of the age. You guys are going to see amazing things. I can't wait to talk to you in a year when you've seen blank, blank, blank. And so you become someone whose faith is very contagious. And um, in Church Zero, I mentioned about Walt Disney. And one of the things, Walt Disney is my hero. And I think over the years I've been church planning, there's guys that are my heroes, guys like Lucas. Um, they're all geeks. Um, Henson, Jim Henson, and uh, Walt Disney. Because they were guys, they're, they're what's known as imagineers. They could imagine things 
that nobody else thought was even possible, and they totally broke the mold. And I think that God is calling us to be those kinds of guys. Well, what what was great about Walt Disney is he wouldn't be deterred when people told him that something was impossible. It was quite the opposite. When someone told Walt Disney that something was impossible, it just made him more stubbornly determined to do it. So he goes to his board, and he in the 1950s, imagine this now, he goes to his board, uh, his board and he says, hey, uh, I want to dig a really deep hole in the ground in Anaheim, and I want to fill it with water and move a submarine through it in the 50s. Hmm. And, and he's like, you know, we're going to simulate a submarine ride, you know, and, and all they could see was a hole in the ground. They're like, you can't fill a hole with water and put a bunch of people and submerge them. Um, that was just impossible. And so he waited until every single one of his board members said, it cannot be done. And then he pursued that project with all of his passion, every bit of his strength. And so that's kind of what you're looking at. Is you're looking for that kind of crazy faith that, uh, that, that church planners need to have. So you need to have guts. The other thing that they need to have is um, they have to have a bit of true grit, man. Kind of like uh, that movie True Grit where she says, hey, they say you're a man of true grit. Um, you need to be able to uh, stick to things. You have to have endurance. Um, you know, uh, you're going to want to quit like we said before. But um, not only do you have to have endurance, and I, I won't go into that because we've really covered that before, but you also have to have a bit of elbow grease. Um, you know, like I said, boot camp uh, is to weed out sissies. Um, I, I worry. Can I just give my old man rant for a second? I worry about this generation. Um, this generation is not like your nice generation, Pete. Um, when we were young, we were growing up in the 70s. For our birthday, we were lucky if we got like a pogo stick or a frisbee, right? Um, you know, maybe a Nerf football. And we were like really happy. Kids today, you know, they get like iPods or iPads. And I've watched over the years as kids have been raised in a way that does not prepare them for real life. Like when we turned 15, first thing we did, man, was wait until we we're 15 and a half and try to beat the system and get a job that would hire us before we turned 16. That's what I did, you know? Mm-hmm. I went and sold cowboy boots in stinking Orange County. Now, if you want to talk about a fish out of water, go work in a cowboy boot store uh, in Orange County. But it was the only place that would hire me at 15. I would have done anything, dude, uh, at 15. I would have, like, tested toilet paper professionally at 15 if they would have paid me. But this Heck, generation... you'd still do that today. Come on. I'm pretty good at it, actually. But, uh, you know... I. The the reality is, is that you have to be able to work hard. And, you know, the guys that are young enough for me to be talking to right now will have no idea who the Quaker oatmeal guy is. But the Quaker oatmeal guy, you know, he was this old fart that was basically like, it's the right thing to do. And that's that's how they would sell oatmeal. And I, I'm going to be the Quaker oatmeal guy for a second. But I'm going to tell you that you're going to have to work hard. And mommy and daddy pretty much did everything for your generation. And so you're not going to want to hear that you have to work hard. But, you know, I got I got like a blog that I wrote not long ago called Stupid Stuff I Hate. Because there is stuff 
that you have to do when you plant a church that you think to yourself, well, Charles Spurgeon never had to do this. He never had to clean a toilet. You know, he never had to do this admin. It's the behind the scenes stuff that determines mm-hmm. whether your church goes belly up. It's make or break stuff. So like, you know, you I'm know setting I, up. I, I got to yeah. share something on this because you, you hit on something that I'm very passionate about. And I, I don't mean to take away from your point. Because I think it's kind of on point. No, dude, shut me up. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Pastor. No. So um, I worked dur- during college. I worked at summer camps. And I did that for a couple of main reasons. One, um, <laughs> it always comes with room and board. <laughs> and, <laughs> and secondly, um, any place other than living at home was better for me. Um, it just, you know. Anyway, long story short, I, I feel for PKs. Let me just put it like that. I, I totally yeah. feel for PKs. So I would work at these summer camps. They were Christian summer camps. And uh, this one specific one I worked at, and I worked there, I think, just one year at this particular one. But one of the things that that uh, summer camps will do, Christian summer camps will do, is they've got to raise funds, right? Because they're they're a mission, essentially. Yeah. And even though they do charge the the students to come to it, they they need more money than that to cover all of their expenses. The interesting thing is, at this particular summer camp, they had these bathrooms that were called the mains, and they were just like they sound. They were the main bathrooms that people would use when you came out of the chapel. So you got to imagine this is a camp that would have I don't know a couple <laughs> hundred students at it, and these mains were built like. 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. And so they're they're old, they're outdated, they're way too small. The the camp has grown significantly since then. So when they would put on these weekends where they invite donors who have donated to the camp that have a special affinity to the camp, uh, and they talk about, you know, these are all the needs that we have, they would always talk for years, they would talk about how they have these main bathrooms that they need to replace and it's going to cost, I don't know, like a hundred thousand dollars to replace these. And no one ever wanted to give to that because who wants to give to the John, right? Who wants to give (laughs) to the urinal? And yet as you and I have seen Pete, the John can be the best place to recruit your core team. Well, I always said, look, if I ever have enough money, I'll come back and give to that. But I want a placard over the urinal or or, <laughs> or in the urinal where people can aim, men can aim and hit that or something. But, oh, the Pete Mitchell Memorial restroom. Or the, I want the urinal, though. Like, I don't, I, you know, I, I want something that people can pee on. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't, it's not about me, right? But... I remember this very clearly. In a weird way, it is about you if people are peeing on your name. It's kind of cool. Anyway, this one year, this gal. Always knew the school would piss all over me. (laughs) (laughs) This gal really wanted to give to the camp, but she didn't (laughs) want to give to the mains. She thought the camp really needed a nice, beautiful fountain out in front of the chapel. And so she gave like $70,000, $80,000 specifically to have a fountain. Put in front of this chapel. Are you still in touch with her? No, I was never in touch with her. Oh. This is just what happened at the camp. This chick's so, a sucker, man. We can get her to give all kinds of money to church plan. Not really, though. Oh. Because what does she want? She wants to have the memorial fountain named after her. Something <laughs> that the camp doesn't need. 
And, wow. um, I, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it goes back to that, that whole, you know, vanity thing of, you know, I want to be the center of attention. I want to be sure. the limelight instead of giving to what really needs to be given to. So one of the big takeaways that I personally got from this experience of seeing this happen was, and, and believe me, I, I've not gone on many uh, mission-oriented trips. I've, I've never done a short-term missions trip, as they're referred to. Um, I was joking with you earlier in the week. Jamie will never let me do a missions trip to Wales because I hate the sun, and she's afraid I'll never come back from Wales because it's never sunny there, from what I'm told. And um, by the way, that means I also can't go to Seattle because I love the rain. Absolutely love it. Redheads hate the sun. It's just the way yeah, it dude. goes. Pete, Pete Frizzle fries like I saw him get sunburned in like five minutes. He has like no. You melanin. saw me get so pissed that one oh, day. I tell what? you what, if you want to make Pete grumpy, make him stand out in the sun during and an then interview. Yeah, and then <laughs> hug him. Oh my so, gosh, dude! I've never seen Pete like that in my. He's pretty like, good natured, dude. But if you want to get him all angry, stick him in the sun. But but one of my takeaways from this, so I you know I'd go on different things with some of the churches. You know they'd go uh, volunteer at a, a you know rescue mission or something like that. They need people to come in and clean up, kind of a thing. Mm. And so my mindset whenever I would do those things is, what's the worst job here that no one wants? And I'll do that because I just remembered this lady given a freaking fountain when they needed bathrooms. You know because you can't have the memorial you know, urinal. And it just, that's just one of the things that's always bugged me is, you know, what's the worst job. That's the job I'll take. That's the one I want. Yeah. Because if no one else is going to do it, I'll do it. Well, that, that's what you got to have in church planning because, you know, the, for all the glory stories about church planning, there's a lot of stuff that church planners have to do behind the scenes. They don't want to do. And it's usually stuff they're not even good at. Uh, They never saw themselves doing it. And quite frankly, uh, they don't have time for uh, but in the end, that stuff has to get done. And so as a church planner, you're going to have to learn to wear a bunch of different hats. So like, you know, in any given week, I could be setting up a bank account, getting signatures from a lawyer, a nonprofit lawyer, picking up a check, doing loads of admin, discipling individuals, training a small corn team, uh, doing a home study, um, calling people, looking at graphics, planning signs, forward planning, um, examining and refining constitution and bylaws, um, dealing with logistics of meeting at a school, going down to pay them for rent, um, and on and on dealing with gotprint.com and, and trying to get postcards out. Um, it, it, like there's no end to the amount of admin and juggling that you have to do sometimes. And some people say, well, do you just leverage that? Well, you're dealing with volunteers, and yes, I mean, I le- I leverage everything, but um, but even leveraging is a type of admin, and you don't just leverage and let go of it forever. Um, you now have a team that you have to uh, negotiate, and so, anyways, it, it, it's all stuff you know that nobody warns you. And um, there's got to be a gift of leadership too to deal with a team. That's because- it. That's, I mean, one of the things that I've discovered about myself and all the businesses that I've done, I'm not a great manager at yeah. all yeah. because I've realized that most people need to be micromanaged yeah. and I can't stand micromanaging. Yeah, That's just and, not my, my deal. 
And so, you know, in some ways, Pete, like I know this about you, like you're a guy who gets stuff done and, and church planners have to be that, like you have to be a self-starter. You can't be the guy that someone's got to always chase up. If, you know, it's kind of like when, when you're, when you're young, like I can remember when I was young, you know, I wouldn't wash the dishes, wouldn't take the trash out. And I remember my mom once telling me off, (laughs) she was so right. She goes, you know, you're all upset at me now for telling you this. But she goes, one day you're going to get married. And if you don't learn this before you get married, then your wife is going to tell you all the same stuff. And I realized a certain point when I got married, I'm like, holy crap. Like, this is literally like I could expect my wife to be my mommy and have her, you know, go around making my bed, nagging me, you know, on and on. And I didn't want that. So when I got married. Your wife doesn't make your bed? Jeez. She actually does because I get up super early. But. Yeah, you know, the the fact is, is that uh, it was like having a mommy. You know, when I first got married, I'm like, dang, I got to start doing this because I just I just don't want a mom. Like, that kind of freaked me out. I like being lazy. But, you know, the the real the realization that I think that, that the next generation needs to have is if they don't t- toughen up in their character, they're going to be planning churches um, that take off like a firework, flare up with a big bang and fizzle back into darkness. And this generation, because they're not known for being the hardest of workers, many of them don't move out of their parents' house till they're pushing 30 years old. And they haven't decided what they want to be when they quote unquote grow up by the age of 25. And so what I'm saying to, to you guys is, look, um, this is a stuff nobody tells you about. No one's warning you that church planning is going to be about working. There's a, 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 a t-shirt that says, Hard work is better than talent if talent isn't working hard. So maybe you're like, dude, well, I can preach and I can do this. That's not going to be enough. You're going to need to have some stick to it, uh, stick to itness. You're going to have to have some endurance. You're going to have to be a self starter and you're going to have to be able to, uh, be a self motivator. Um, if, if in church planning, if you don't work hard, nothing hardly works. And so I don't often tell about the what I call the stupid stuff I hate. Like I have a folder on my computer called Stupid Stuff I Hate. That's where I got that blog title from. Um, because, you know, young guys will go and they'll listen to iTunes sermons, uh, YouTube vids, testimonies of churches that exploded. And they'll go, yeah, man, that's the stuff. And then they'll quit six months to a year down the line when that doesn't happen um, because it was really a lot of work to church plant. And so Paul's telling Timothy, endure hardship like a good soldier. Don't abandon your post. Um, church planting's a man's game. It's not for little boys. You're going to have to work, endure, and be patient. Um, like a, like he said, you know, consider the hardworking farmer. The patient farmer is the first to receive the crops. And so you need patience, you need hard work. And of course, Paul lays out all the character stuff, which we start off saying is the most important. But, uh, you know, like, like, like I say in, uh, Jump School, which is my next book coming out. I say, look, if you can't stomach doing stuff that's either hard or not what you want to do, well, just like boot camp, just like special forces, there's a sign hanging on the door that reads, church planning, wimps need not apply. I dig it, man. I dig it. Well, um, look, hey, if you're looking to train in church planning, in evangelism, uh, this week, 
which is the week of, uh, you know, what are we in the second, third week of September? Uh, it'll be the third week of September, September 19th at Refuge Huntington Beach. Uh, we're going to be starting from 4.30 to 6.30, uh, church planning for knuckleheads. Um, this particular course is going to focus on evangelism. And if you don't know really how to evangelize, I want to encourage you, um, you know, it's, it's in some ways it's harder than you think. In other ways, it's a lot easier than you think. And we're going to talk about that. So if you want to come, it's an eight week course. It's free because you're poor and we want to be there for you, train you, get you as equipped as you can possibly be. And that's going to be, like I said, this Thursday to run for eight weeks, one week theory, one week practice. And if you're scared, then that's for sure a confirmation you need to be there so you can get over that fear. Church planners have to evangelize. Are you going to be uh, recording that? I am. I am going to be recording it. And uh, in order to get that recording, you have to have a good note from your doctor as to why you couldn't be there and why I should give you a recording. Because the uh, practicum, the practice of it, which is every other week, is going to be probably more valuable than anything else. We're going to do some crazy stuff, which we'll talk about in future podcasts as to the funny stuff we made these guys do. Which we do. When we train church planners, we do funny stuff and laugh about it. Um, the very first, uh, weekend away I did with the very first jump school, we called it. Um, what we, <laughs> what we did is we, we took him out into the wilderness and we got like this cabin and then we made him repel blindfolded down, uh, uh, a sheer face, uh, cliff drop. And, you know, uh, someone at the bottom had to kind of guide him because there's jagged rocks sticking out. And uh, we just basically told the guys, hey, guys, you know that feeling you had when you're repelling blindfolded uh, and, and you're worried about hitting the jagged? Because they could see the jagged rock before they went down. We're like, that's church planning, right? You have no clue what's going on. You need someone else to guide you. You're scared. Um, you don't feel in control. There's a lot of trust involved. That's what a church planner eats for breakfast. So. Um, that whole deal, uh, you know, we're going to do some just killer crazy stuff that uh, we're going to talk about on the podcast to train people and get them ready. But it will change your life. It will prep you. We're not into this, hey, let's just throw lectures at people and hope that it makes them ready. We're very much about let's get in the trenches and do it. And uh, that that's how I train people. I do it like Paul. I take Timothy's and Titus's on a whistle stop tour and say, hey, come with me. Come with me on an adventure, and let's get you all all ready to do this. So that's it, man. And so. I would just I would just say that the main reason I think people should attend this is uh, you're going to be around like minded people, yeah. and that's that that's the value really of this thing that people don't understand yet because um, you know we've talked about it. Church planning is a lonely sport, and there aren't too many people who understand what you're going through. Yeah. So to be surrounded by them, let me tell you, it makes a huge difference. And by One surrounded, the, I don't mean like there's going to be a hundred people at this event. You, you know, know, this, this whole group too was masterminded by two guys that I mentor, um, two of my guys that we're mentoring in church planning right now. Um, I meet with them on a weekly basis and they were like, Hey, can we do this? And it was their idea. It's come from them. They're going to be running the practicum. Um, I'll be running the theory 
And uh, but it has been so fun to watch these guys kind of envision themselves like drill instructors because we've really put them through the ringer over the last few years. And they're they're like, hey, we can't wait to do this. And they have this awesome vision to uh, run this thing. And what's funny about it is that they're basically looking at um, this next team coming in. Uh, one of the things they said was, wouldn't it be cool if at the end of this um, we actually had formed a core team and we were going to plant another church in Long Beach. Well, lo and behold, uh, Hector Mora from Vision Church Long Beach. Um, he's, I, gosh, I was a youth pastor to his wife years ago and he's out of Joey Baran's church. If you're a surfer, you know that name. He was a pipeline master years ago. He's got a church called Worship Generation in Fountain Valley. And, uh, anyway, so Hector's being sent out from him. Hector was, Part of uh, Britt Merrick's core team from Reality, uh, Carpenterian. I believe he was with Tim Chaddock in L.A. as well. But anyways, Hector's been with Joey Baran now, and uh, he's going to be planning in Long Beach. What we're actually looking at doing is doing some of the frontline evangelism for him and also possibly seeing if some of the guys that are coming along to this uh, are going to make up some of his core team. And so at the end of this, it's not like we're just throwing a course. It's literally, we are training up church planners and probably a church plan is going to come out of this. Love it. It's pretty rock and roll, man. That's how Paul did it, but that's how new breed does stuff. We do stuff very first century. So anyways, Hey, this has been Peyton Jones and Pete Mitchell on the church planner podcast. Thanks for joining us today. And uh, we're just here to remind you, if you want to reach the ones nobody's reaching, you have to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Church